We're going to keep going through our um, Acts series. If you were here with us last week, we were um, we did five through five through eight, six through eight, six through eight. Um, that was most notably marked by the martyrdom of Stephen, and from there the scattering of the believers. So today we're going to talk about chapters nine through eleven, and what I want I'll give you we're going to talk about I'll give you a ten thousand foot view. Um, but the theme today is community. And if there's nothing else that you get, if there's no other thing you're going to listen to, if right after I say this sentence you go to sleep, just hear this sentence. Community is the soil you're planted in to bear the fruit of purpose. Community is the soil you are planted in to bear the fruit of purpose. <clears throat> so, the believers are scattered, and I'll give you this overview of 9 through 11. There's a lot of scripture, but I don't know if we're going to get all to it. There's just, when you're preaching on, through chapters, it makes you just want to read the entire thing to everybody. But you can't do that, because then people do tune out. Um, so, most notably, we see... Saul, who held everybody's coats while they all stoned Stephen to death for the gospel. And he is on fire for the wrong reasons. He is eager to kill, arrest, and imprison believers. And he, most famously in chapter 9, has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. That leaves him blind, where he's led to the Damascus where a man named Ananias comes and prays for him and he receives the Holy Spirit and begins preaching for Jesus instead of against Jesus. We keep going and we see that Saul, uh, or excuse me, I've, I've labeled him Paul in my notes because I'm ahead of myself. Saul is eventually taken by Barnabas to the apostles in Jerusalem where the apostles commission him affirm his change, and then he is tucked away in Tarsus. Then we follow Peter as he goes to a city called Joppa. He raises a woman named Tabitha from the dead and turns that city upside down. Right after that, he has his famous vision of a sheet being pulled down in front of him with all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and things, and the Lord telling him to to get up, kill, and eat them, and him being like, no, no, Lord, those are unclean, and God saying, don't call anything I've created and made pure unclean. He gets that three times. Meanwhile, a Roman army officer, Cornelius, and, and his family, or Cornelius himself, has a visit, has a vision where an angel says, hey, send some people to this city called Joppa. There's a man named Peter there. Have him come back. At the same time, as the servants are going, Peter, while trying to figure out the vision, has the Holy Spirit tell him directly, hey, some men are coming to get you to go to this place to see this guy Cornelius. Go with them. And he does. He goes to Cornelius' house, and all of his family are there, and they receive the gospel, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. He then goes back to Jerusalem and tells the apostles in the church there everything that's happening with the Gentiles, 
with the non-Jewish people. They're receiving the Holy Spirit. They're receiving the good news. We're seeing fruit from that. And they initially reject his, they criticize him for mixing with the unclean people, the non-Jewish people. And then he explains himself. He explains the vision of what took place. And they change their mind and they rejoice. And they say, clearly the message is for the Gentiles. Meanwhile, out, revival breaks out in a town called Antioch. The apostles in Jerusalem send Barnabas down there who confirms there's legit revival here. And he goes and gets Saul to come back there and begin ministry. So there it is, 9 through 11. All right, thank you. Um, so these are the things that are happening in the church at this time. And we see Holy Spirit working in each of these areas, turning, just turning knobs in these lives to bring about the unity of the Jewish people and non-Jewish believers. So we're going to talk about community, and that's a word that gets thrown around, but I want to explain to you some of the core truths that are here in this text, but some core truths that are elsewhere. The concept of community and relationship goes all the way back to the Trinity. Relationship and community are eternal. They predate time. They predate creation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit exist in community and in relationship. So this is a concept that he translates into creation. And we see in Genesis 2, when God makes Adam, that in the context of that moment there, this is before the fall, this is before sin, that he saw that Adam was alone, and that was not good. Everything before that, every component of creation, God saw and declared good. He saw Adam's aloneness, and that's in the context of him being with Adam. And he said, that's not good. So he makes Eve. So we see that this not alone thing is an eternal concept, a kingdom concept. It's a, it's a design, it's, it's an intentional design. Everybody with me? All right. So God didn't think man being alone was good. So we can see that operating solo is the exception to the rule. It's not the practice. And anytime we see in Scripture someone on their own, it's after they've been deeply rooted in community for a time. If community is the soil you're planted in, you may be the prettiest flower in the field, but you only got that way because the soil was fertile. The soil had good nutrients. God grew you from the soil, and you blossomed. Absent those things, we'll just be seeds on the footpath. So as we go, as we go we're going to talk about four truths that define community. And I want to give you this picture because we, we say the word community and we're like, oh, I have community. I have X person or Y person. But are these kingdom attributes present? Community is not just knowing people. Community is 
being intertwined with holy people, with godly people. The church is the body of Christ. You hear that all the time. We could beat that one to death. But the community overlaps. The community innervates. The community is connected more than just one way. So first truth. Community comes before your commission. So we'll, we'll read a little bit here in Acts 9. You can follow along. We're going to be jumping around a lot of different places, but it'll be on the screen for you. We're talking about Saul's conversion, his, his current attitude going to Damascus. Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any of the followers of the way as Christianity was known. Any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on the mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Notice the Lord here is little ill, as in I have no idea what this higher power is, but he is, he is present. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Then the the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So, it's very easy to see the big Holy Spirit impact of getting slapped over the head and Saul's life being turned around 180. But what we need to appreciate is that in that moment of commissioning, in that moment of I'm going to change your life, in that moment he needed the community of believers, so he was struck blind. He was immediately dependent on those next to him. And he was sent to the city to wait on someone from that community. Now, we know it was Ananias, and we we even see it later. Ananias is like, you want me to go pray for a who? Have you heard about him? But we see that God plants us. He planted Saul first in community. It's only later in verses 26 and 27 that Barnabas continues that sort of cultivation of Saul. Or excuse me, I got jumped ahead. Ananias. So Ananias in chapter 9, verse 15. And the Lord's speaking to Ananias. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food, regained his strength. 
Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Now, it goes on to say that he starts to preach boldly, but here he, he, the community comes to him, Ananias comes to him, prays for him, he receives the Holy Spirit, and then he rests. And then he is with other believers. Now, whether or not he's getting like overtly ministered to, we don't know. But there's a period of time where he is being nourished before he is immediately running out the door to do his thing. So we go on to see Barnabas in verses 26 and 27. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas had picked him out. He tried to meet with other believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. I mean, I wouldn't. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostle, to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So it, his credibility was only based on the word of the community he'd been rooted in. God could have chosen to just declare it with signs and wonders, but the road for Saul to become Paul to be the writer of the, the, new, the majority of the New Testament is a humble beginning, one dependent on others, one cultivated by others, one grown in secret with others, like-minded others. So community comes before your commission. Number two, being deeply rooted in community shelters and grows us. Now that makes sense. You have, the, you have your encounter, but Saul is, is, is converted. He receives Holy Spirit. He's baptized. He's resting with community. And he begins to reap the benefits of being part of this community. Once he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's rested, he begins preaching boldly for the Lord. And we go down into verse 22 through 25 in chapter 9. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? God, this is a side note. God picking, picking the, your worst enemy because he has the best knowledge so that when he turns you around, he's like, no, 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 I know everything you're about to say, and I'm going to go point by point so you can't prove me wrong. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. That's just like an argument. Is that not just like, a, I can, I, I, you're not right, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. They plotted to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gates so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Later, the same thing in Jerusalem happened where there was a plot to kill him. In verse 30, when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. So we see community rallying around to help prevent, to help shelter what God's doing, to help promote what God's doing, and deepening those roots of connection so that Saul has the ability to grow. Had the believers not been connected, not cared for him, not loved him, 
as Jesus called us to do, they could have just been like, well, it was good, good luck, bro. I remember that you held everybody's coat when they stoned my bro Stephen. So you just go out the, you go out the front door. You go out the front door. You check that out. It was very easy, especially now for us, to not only question the legitimacy of someone's conversion, but even in seeing the fruits of, those con- of that conversion, having our own doubts and clinging to their past and not what they're doing now. So there's a call in here, not only in the importance of being rooted in community, but the importance of being the community, being the church to other people. Because that one person you've got a, an ire for is one moment away, one Damascus road away from being converted and being a powerful tool for the Holy Spirit that's going to need your help, that's going to need your mentorship, that's going to need your wisdom, that's going to need your love. I'm only talking to myself. So we see on down in verse 28 that Saul goes to work with the apostles. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went around all Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. We continue to see that Paul, that Saul, I keep mixing them up, Saul, same person, two names. Saul is always with someone. We'll see later when he's in prison, he is a, a greater degree alone, but he is never isolated. There's always someone with him, speaking into his life, receiving wisdom for him. There's a, there's a relational component. We know Luke saw him a lot to gather these details while he was in prison. Saul is not by himself. Neither should we. Number three, moves of the Holy Spirit were accompanied by community investment. So let's switch over. We'll talk about Peter now. In 9 verses 42 and 43, right after he goes to Joppa, he goes to Joppa, he's been summoned to Joppa by some people who were friends, who were community with this woman named Tabitha. Tabitha was a well-known, holy believer. And she died. She got sick and she died. And the people there mourning her said, wait, I heard Peter was nearby. Y'all, nearby was a long way too. Nearby, it was like day's journey. Heard Peter was nearby. They said, go get him. Go get him. Go see if Peter will come and do something. I don't know if they thought he'd raise her. I don't know what, but they were like, go get Peter. So they went. This is after Peter has had his vision and everything. Or excuse me, this is before. I'm sorry. So Peter comes with them. Comes back. Goes up. She's been dead for days goes upstairs, sends everybody downstairs, prays, and says, Tabitha, get up, and that girl wakes up. Can you have... What? Y'all, I mean, I pray for the gifts. I'm not going to lie, but if I saw that, I'd freak out for at least a few days. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not an emotional, outbursty kind of guy, but I'd probably scream. <laughs> ah, it worked! <laughs> So, rightfully so, this town turns upside down because <laughs> this well-known woman who's been dead for three days is now alive. So everyone, a lot of people converted, and we see 
uh, in 42 and 43, the news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. Many in the town believed there was a big move of the Holy Spirit, and Peter stayed because that new, fresh crop of believers needed good soil. They needed depth. They needed to be established in the church. And that doesn't happen with a one-time encounter with the Holy Spirit. That happens with an encounter with the Holy Spirit and then a continuation in community. We see later when Cornelius and his family received the Holy Spirit, In chapter 10, verse 48, Peter speaking, So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Now, this isn't just a cultural norm. There's a degree of, of cultural practice of staying with people. But what I want you to see is that every time Holy Spirit pours himself out, has an encounter, radically converts and saves people, that there is communal investment. Peter stayed with the new Gentile believers for several days. And we see later in Acts chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Barnabas and Saul investing in Antioch. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus, Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there in the church for a full year, teaching large crowds, teaching large crowds of people. It was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Whenever there's a big move, when revival breaks out, it breaks out where there's fertile soil. Now, now don't get me wrong, we can, we can easily move ourselves out of that. We have some free will to reject the soil and reject the community we're planted in. But anytime revival breaks out, God's not planting seeds on the road. God's planting them in healthy soil. So if revival's broken out in your life, there is healthy soil very close to you, whether you see it or not. (laughs) Number four, Holy Spirit will challenge our ways of thinking to create and build community. No, this one stinks. Lord, I want to be part of a diverse community of believers where people can speak into my life and I can be loved. He's like, all right. I'm going to send you some people you disagree with. That's, mm, that's, That's true in my life. He will challenge our way of thinking. So we see in, in the first part of chapter 9 in Saul's conversion, he, was, began, he began his journey eager to kill believers. Kill men, women, children, imprison them. He was eager to do that. And we see that in when the Lord speaks to Ananias, Ananias is challenged. In verse 13, 
But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest anyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, go. I don't know what tone of voice, but I feel like when you are arguing with Jesus, it probably gets a little sterner. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. We even see further down in where we had talked about in verse 26, when he arrived in Jerusalem, the other believers were like, uh, no. No, you ain't coming to my house. But the evidence of Holy Spirit in his life challenged the way they thought, and they were swayed. The fruits of the Spirit swayed their way of thinking. In Peter's vision, in chapter 10, speaking of Peter, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by four corners. In the sheets were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice called him and said, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. Are we proud of the rules we follow? No, Lord. (laughs) You're not getting me in this test. But the voice, God, speaking again, said, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And we get the benefit of hindsight to say that the Lord has made clean through Jesus everyone. Amen? The same vision was repeated three times. Three. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus called him out three times. He gets a vision three times. The verse after this said Peter was one sitting there wondering about the vision. I'm encouraged by Peter. You can be so dumb and ignorant. I'm like, yes, Lord. So in that way, we see Peter encountering what he knows to be true. These animals are unclean. All he's ever grown up with are the Jewish laws. And even with walking with Jesus for several years, old habits die hard. They're preaching in the synagogues, but, you know, you're still keeping some of these things you've kept by habit for a lifetime. And Jesus, Holy Spirit, comes in and says, I'm building community. I'm building community. It's not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. You're going to have to adjust the way. You're going to have to open. You're going to have to broaden your perspective. You have to open your mind and open your heart. Later, he, in verse... um, 44 and 47, after he's spoken to Cornelius and his family. See how, see how all these things are running together. He's telling him the Gentiles are included. He's preparing him to receive the non-Jewish messengers to go to the non-Jewish home that he's not supposed to go to. He tells him, hey, these people are going to be here. You don't know them. Go with them. He tells him clearly, go with them. Because he's building something, he needs to show him something, and he's got to get through his thick skull. Just like he's got to get through mine, y'all. <laughs> Mine's thicker than Peter's. So in 44 and 47, even as Peter was saying these things, speaking of the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening. 
the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did? Sometimes you just got to experience the crazy. You got to get led to it. You got to experience the thing that you're totally against so that you can see, oh, it's legit. I don't, eh, oh, I'm here. I'm going to be uncomfortable, but I'm here. He challenges the way we think. Peter gets back in chapter 11 and tells the others in Jerusalem that this happened. And they skip over the whole story. He said, man, Holy Spirit fell out on all these Gentiles. It was awesome. It was crazy. They were speaking in tongues. You remember that day we were back, oh, like however many long ago, where we all were just speaking and they thought we were drunk, but we weren't? Yeah, 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 we heard about that, Peter. They're doing it over there, the Gentiles. I was just at dude's house. And what do they say? You were at whose house? When the others heard this, they stopped, or excuse me, soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea, and the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of a Gentile and even ate with them? Then Peter told him exactly what happened. He verbatim repeats. It's almost at like chapter 10, 9 or 10, whichever one. He, he literally, the text is almost a copy where he explains everything to these people again. But thank God they were in church and in community where their beliefs could be challenged because he convinces them. Holy Spirit has opened their mind because in verse 18 it says, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. That should be our reaction. Do you see the fruits of the Spirit in somebody's life that you don't like? <laughs> you better praise God. Oh. <laughs> That's it, y'all. I'm done. <laughs> They said, we can see that God has given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. They could appreciate God's plan. And Holy Spirit, through each of these steps, unified a group of people that would have chosen to remain in their own camps, who would have chosen to remain isolated from the others. Regardless of how the, the spread of the gospel happened, the Lord said, it's not good for the Jewish believers to be alone this message is for everybody. So he commissions the one dude that hates all the Gentiles to reach the Gentiles. And he tells the leader of the Jewish church, hey, the Gentiles are in. And all throughout that, we see time and effort being spent together in community. And that's not a theme that's, that's past the church is the community. So today I want to ask you, are you in community or are you just around it? Do people full of the Holy Spirit surround you in a more intimate way than a pleasant greeting on Sunday morning?
the Holy Spirit prompts and builds and sustains our community. So it's that much more important, you've heard us preach this before, that we remain fully yielded to Holy Spirit. Just like we talked about, we sang about with the, the alabaster heart, that we're completely empty. We're completely empty and available to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit will lead you into relationships. Holy Spirit will prompt you to build relationships. Holy Spirit will cultivate existing relationships to your benefit. I'm continually reminded this whole week, I've, side, side note into, I've started to care about what my yard looks like. It's been a long time since I've cared about what my yard looks like. And it's real great how Holy Spirit lines up everything you're doing, even though you don't know he's doing it. In my research, in my study of what, how do I care for my yard better, the emphasis is on good soil. It's like you can have all the plants, all the good, the good types of plants and everything, but if your soil is garbage, it's not going to grow. It just won't. It has to have nutrients from the soil. When you water your yard, you are watering your soil. When you fertilize your yard, you are fertilizing the soil. And this stirred up a new perspective on the seed sower and the parable of the seed sower. Is your community fertile soil? Or is your community the footpath, which means you don't have it? You're by yourself. It's you and Jesus, and that's enough. And the more you just sit with you and Jesus, and I can only hear this way, if the Lord's not telling me, then it's not any good the further and further and further you'll find yourself isolated because you get in your own head and you decide all kinds of different things. I know I've I've been trapped in my brain. Has anybody else been trapped in their brain? Amen. You've got to have people because it's designed this way. If you're on the footpath, move. Take a step somewhere else. Step off into the grass. Maybe your community is rocky, soil where you can't it's just too superficial maybe the community you're around people but it's all happy pleasantries and you're wearing your your church face you're saying hi everything's great yeah oh bless the lord yeah Mm -hmm, i'm great yes no problems are in my life i have no sin amen amen i'm just so happy to be here All anybody sees is this 5% of you that you pretend to be. Or it's just like, it's like, it's like looking at someone's social media in person. You don't see none of their bad stuff. It's just smiles and happy family pictures. You don't see all the yelling at the children. Is your community thorns? Are the people that you invest yourself in controlling or manipulative or just ungodly that aren't there for your betterment but are there to choke out the life from you and suck out whatever life you have. Mm, There's somebody in here. Jesus doesn't want you there. Jesus has not designed the people the people in your life to be life-sucking outers. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. 
Or is your community fertile? Is it filled with the love of Christ? And that's not a love free from conflict, but that's an unconditional love that says you are valued. And because you are valued, I care for you. I'm going to be intentional about pursuing you. I'm going to maintain connection even when you try to disconnect. You're here. You are a part. You're a part of our church. Are you planted there? Or maybe you're standing right next to fertile soil. Maybe you're just slightly off of the fertile soil and you're in the rocky soil and you're like, man. Or you've positioned yourself away from this. This doesn't take into account your own actions. You can choose none of these things. You can say no. But I want to implore you to choose fertile soil. Pray and ask God to fill your life with people. Godly people that will love you. Now, y'all, you're in this church, so you're already like five steps ahead. This church is good at community. Now, not every person is perfect. Me being the chief one of imperfection. But there's community here. There's reliance. There's love. There's love demonstrated. Love is only known by its demonstration. And community is love demonstrated. So I want to ask you, are you in community? If you're in community, where does it fall? And if you want a change, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to to let Holy Spirit put you in weird spots? Let crazy people come speak into your life? I say crazy. Holy people that are sometimes crazy. (laughs) Because, y'all, if y'all are looking... If you're looking for perfection in your community, you're not going to find it because that's in Jesus. We're all going to screw up, but we get to bear each other's burdens and we get to encourage you. But let me tell you the difference between control and manipulation and the love of Christ. The love of Christ says, I see your sin, but I know who you are. Come up out of there. Come with me out of that. Control and manipulation says, I will not pursue you until you fix yourself. I can't be with you in your uncleanness. But Holy Spirit here said, don't call unclean what I've made clean. Are you part of community? I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to pray with me, but I don't want you to pray with me because you're supposed to. I want you to pray with me because you want to. Jesus, Jesus. Deepen, deepen our roots of community. Father, bring us, surround us with your holy community, Father. Where we have not been in fertile soil, Father, make the soil around us fertile. Transplant us into fertile soil. If we found ourselves anywhere else, Lord, cut us out and put us in the fertile soil so that we might grow and bear fruit in you. In Jesus' name, amen.